Well, welcome to Bridgeway. My name is Chad, and my family and I have been on vacation all week. Thank you, David. And uh, it's really good sermon prep to just stare at an ocean for six days. I want to tell you a couple of books that I think would really bring this series more to life. Today we're in the third week of a series called Healing the Orphan Spirit. And here's a couple of books I think could really help you. One is by Leif Hetland, who will be coming here October 24th weekend. Uh, it's called Healing the Orphan Spirit. And the other one is from Jack Frost. Many of you have been impacted by him. He's with Jesus now. But this book is called Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship. Your Destiny Awaits You. And so I think these, these two are uh, available in the lobby. If you want to just chew on what I've been talking about the last two weeks and then this week and the next four, I think these two books will be great companions for you. I believe it'll help you go a little bit deeper. You know, identity is a pretty big deal in the kingdom. Before Jesus Christ began his personal ministry, he heard an audible voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved baby boy in whom I'm well pleased. If Jesus apparently needed to hear the audible voice of his father, we probably should as well. And you know what I love about that story is that when he hears the voice, uh, the spirit leads him into a desert. And uh, the, his greatest testing produced so much perseverance in him, so much power in him. He came out of that desert with his identity and with power. He said, when you get your identity, you'll, you'll automatically get your power. I've never really seen anyone walk in a whole lot of power in the kingdom without a strong revelation of identity. And so today I just want to finish, not finish, I want to continue what I started two weeks ago. Every time I point at the table, if you haven't been with us, this is the king's table. In my metaphor, I've been presenting. So David had a best friend. His name was Jonathan. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. David made a promise to Jonathan that if anything ever happened uh, to Jonathan, that David would take care of his family. He finds out there's this kid, this crippled kid named Mephibosheth, and he's in the land of Lodibar. And over here, if I continue to point over here for the next six weeks, this is Lodibar. It's the land of desolation, the land of nothingness. King David over Israel peace and prosperity for 40 years, finds out that Mephibosheth is there. Jonathan died with his father Saul, and David summons Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth thinks he's going to be killed by a king. It's not really good news when a king calls for you back then, but something different happened. And this king showed him kindness and favor and provision and invited him to a table and said, what I have is yours, and come and enjoy it. And this crippled kid is in shock thinking that the king's going to kill him, only that the king would give him an abundant life, if you will. This is foreshadowing to the greatest news of all time. But the greatest news of all time, which is the gospel, euangelion in Greek, some people translate too good to be true news, this great news of the gospel has no effect on my life if I don't learn to cooperate and believe its message. You know, it's interesting. Jesus says, you shall know the truth, the truth will set you free. If truth set everyone free, then, well, we'd all be free. There would not be things going on around the world like there are now if it was just about the truth. But it's never been just about the truth. It's been about my ability to receive the truth. You know, at the beach this week, seeing what's going on in France, just sitting on the back porch just by myself for about an hour, just thinking, I don't know, in 43 years if I've ever seen anything like this in the world with so much chaos. And the only thing I know to offer, and I know it seems trite because I'm a pastor, but the only thing I know to offer is the message of Jesus Christ, what he offers and who he is. But even in his message, even in his message, 
Adolf Hitler had his sins uh, paid for. Adolf Hitler was loved by God. An inability to receive the truth can lead to destruction on small, tiny levels and mass destruction levels. And so for this church, I just want us to line up under truth. This is really a series with a covenant bent on relationship with God. And it starts with this idea of, am I more comfortable saying yes to Jesus for salvation, going to heaven when I die, but am I more comfortable living in a land of desolation, a place called Lodibar, than I am at the king's table? And for me, I'm only 43 years old. I'm not even hardly getting started yet. I am noticing that a lot of born-again Christians are more comfortable in Lodibar than they are at the king's table. And it actually takes... It actually takes the ability to believe the spoken word that's already been spoken before you were born. It takes an ability to believe what he's already said to not just get to this table, but stay at this table. You know, you can be born again and live in Lodibar the rest of your life. The message of the kingdom is not just saying yes to heaven. It's saying yes to a king. He's your Lord, your owner in Greek. And when he owns you, he brings you into his family and he's not the, the bridge to heaven. He's actually the bridge to the Father. And this is the Father's table. You see, Jesus is my big brother. He's my mediator. He's my bridge, not to an afterlife. He's actually my bridge to Eden. And in my opinion, the gospel has more to do with going back to Eden than it does shooting up into the sky one day when you die. If you can get to Eden, if you can get to the Father's table, it doesn't make you better than someone else. It doesn't make you more arrogant than someone. You don't really... You didn't do anything to deserve to get this. You just will experience things in the kingdom that, that people around you who are also born again just never experience. There's a massive difference in being born again and walking in the kingdom. I can be born again, but it's more about avoiding hell and going to heaven when I die. But when it comes to the kingdom, Psalm 24, 1 says, everything in the world is the Lord's and everything in it. When it comes to the kingdom, I realize that I am crippled. When I receive the nature of God, though, the invitation is just to come and be beside him the rest of my life, to walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, before the destruction hits, it's a picture of Eden. You're walking in intimacy with God, enjoying him. When's the last time you enjoyed God? <laughs> I love going to the beach this week because I wasn't, I didn't have to lead anything. The grocery store was a tenth of a mile from where we stayed. I gained seven and a half pounds in six days. Some of those cartoon movies, you sit still long enough and all of a sudden your kids start looking like steaks. You know that uh, Madagascar movie. I didn't really do anything other than hang out with my wife, hang out with my kids, and spend a lot of time with God. The great thing about Eden, you don't go to the table to, to get stuff, to work an angle with other people you know, if I'm only going to the table so I can share with others because I'm a pastor, that's pretty cheap. I want to go to the table and turn out the lights and light a candle and not tweet about it. And no one know it and just spend six, seven, eight hours with God. I, I spent so much of my life hating him because I didn't understand him. And I just have to tell you, I'm not in Lodi Bar anymore. I'm not Mephibosheth. I'm his child. And I don't say it as a pastor. I don't even let anybody call me pastor. I just sit at the table because it's where I belong. This is where I belong. This is home to me now. And my goal for Bridgeway is that Lodi Bar won't be your home anymore. Yeah, I, that deserves something. <laughs> so I got a library in here. 
So, so how do you get to this table? Instead of just stirring people up and saying, come to the table. <laughs> how do you get here? What, how do you get to intimacy with the Father and stay there the rest of your life? How do you get to a place where your own death is anticlimactic? What if an angel manifested to you and instead of you being terrified and caught off guard, you just said, how's it going? I'm not kidding. What if something so dramatic happened to you spiritually and it really didn't catch you that off guard? What if your eyes were trained that, that, that the realm of Eden was more real than what you can see, taste, touch, and feel? I'm, I'm serious. What if, let's say you own your own business and business isn't going well and you've had four words in the past month about how well your business is going to go? What if instead of falling apart like a $3 bill, what if you hung more on the word from God than, than what's not coming across your desk? There comes a place where faith for Eden is actually not even that hard to where you're, you're so locked into him, Colossians 3, 1 through 3, that what's going on around you uh, has a hard time phasing you anymore because you truly have heard from him. You know, it's something amazing when a son can get a word from the father, the heavenly father, and you hang on to that word and, and it doesn't look like it'll ever manifest. And in your, in your mind, it's already manifested. It's, it's as real. When it does manifest, it's not even that big a deal. How awesome is it when things manifest that he's promised and, and instead of you just being in shock, you say, well, that's what you said would happen. That's fine. This is what Jesus does to Satan in the garden, in the desert. It is written, it is written, it is written. And I want to I look at a passage today that is such an odd passage. We have a man named Zechariah who's a priest in the lineage of Abijah, I believe. He has a strong history in God. He was righteous in God's eyes. And an angel that has a name, this is a crazy story. Either we're the craziest people in the world or we believe in just an awesome God. He has angels that he releases. This angel has a name. It's in the written word, and this angel's named Gabriel. It's my brother's name. Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, and he says, I have a message for you. You would think this would be an awesome, awesome story. But it is so odd to me as we read it together that someone so familiar with God, been around God for so long, been around the ways of God for so long, his family has a lineage in God, and then this happens. You know, if you feel like you're just a train wreck sometimes, just relax. There's some people in the Bible. Let's just look at this right here in Luke chapter 1. There's some people in the Bible that give us hope. I love looking at my heroes in the Bible because they're not, uh, <laughs> not all of them are superstars, if you will. I think God tells Joshua nine times, yeah, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why is he saying it? Because Josh was afraid. Moses, petrified, has to have Aaron go with him. And I could keep going through the whole meta-narrative of the whole Bible. It's a story of a huge God that uses tiny people that are scared to death, don't know what's going on, and he's very patient. Thank God for God. Yes. Put that on the bumper sticker. So here we go. <laughs> Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... You see his doctor coming out there, don't you? The doctor, Luke, is carefully investigating. I love the fact that a doctor wrote the book of Acts, by the way. Praise God for that. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I believe Theophilus is translated lover of God. It would be a great name. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, I love this. We start off with a major character in the New Testament completely dropping the ball. I mean, this guy, 
This guy, he, he didn't do a good job here. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Let me just take a second here. These aren't uh, newbies. They have a strong history in God. Matter of fact, when Gabriel shows up, he's not shocked that Gabriel's there. That's the fascinating part of this. This is a person very acquainted with the things of God. This is a person that understands the story of Lodibar very well. This is a person that would have uh, been very uh, equipped in the oral traditions of who God is and what happened in yesteryear. But when it came his time, when it came his time to either show fruit on the tree of being an orphan or a son, uh, what came out of his mouth from his heart didn't really line up with the Sunday school teaching. You know, you really don't evaluate where you are between Lodi Bar or at the king's table by how eloquent you are. It's just when you're squeezed, what comes out? Y'all aren't listening. All right. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. I just want to take my time. To say that someone's righteous in God's eyes before his son would go to the cross, this is a major deal. The Father, Jehovah God, saw Zechariah a certain way. He saw him as someone worthy enough to receive a visitation from Gabriel and for this man's son to be the forerunner of the king of the universe. That's a big deal. We're not to the cross yet. Zechariah's not a bum. This guy's faithfully serving God. God sees him as righteous. God sees Elizabeth as righteous. But just because God sees me a certain way, if I don't see myself that same way, it doesn't matter. You can have access to a king's table where you don't have to go get your PhD, where you can further your education in the kingdom and your identity not to get a better seat at the table, just to understand better what's already been given to you. You can, you can do that, but you can't earn anything. I can't do anything to get myself out of Lodi Bar and onto the king's table. All I can do is learn to say thank you from the bottom of my heart because gratitude in the kingdom is actually a weapon. Gratitude in the kingdom will further cement you to this table. I'm not thanking God for how great I am. It's like the guy that stood up. I just want to thank you, God, for making me and who I am and all this. Jesus tells this story. You, you thank God for how good he is. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see how good are you, God? How good are you, God? My intercession is just full of gratitude. This man deserved a spot at the table, but I want you to look at what happens when he's squeezed. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. They were both very old. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. <laughs> and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. The, okay, right, this is a big deal. This is a very big deal, and people were going to wait outside to see what happened. And Zechariah had no idea what was about to happen. He's just going along, doing his duty, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, full of expectation, full of responsibility, and then the unthinkable happens. Next verse. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. 
When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. I love the Gospels and the book of Acts because it's all about these suddenly moments. You don't know where you are with God until a suddenly moment happens and you see what comes out when you're squeezed. You know, you squeeze a carrot, apple juice doesn't come out of it. If it does, let me know. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll get you rich somehow. You, make, you, you, I don't, you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. You squeeze a born-again Christian, a lot of times more enemy comes out than kingdom thinking. You see, if I squeeze you in Lodibar, Lodibar comes out. If I squeeze you at the king's table, you're going to smell and taste like strawberries or filet mignon or something you get at Nantucket downtown in Greenville, that great seafood place. When I squeeze you at the king's table, kingship ought to come out of me or you. (laughs) Y'all aren't listening. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. I think 366 times it says in scripture, don't be afraid. You want to know why? Because we're sheep. God gives us one for every day of the year and then an extra one in case you need that, all right? Every time an angel shows up, people are just... They hit the dirt. What's interesting is Jesus wasn't that way. What if you were so acclimated to heaven's culture that angelic ministry could be all around you? You notice things that other people don't know, and it's really not even that big a deal to you. It's a high level of sonship. When an angel shows up to a spiritual orphan, they feel like they're about to die. What if when you were at the king's table right now in your life, you were in such intimacy with the Father that a wind could start blowing on you, the room fill up with the smell of, let's say, a cinnamon or honeysuckle, and you just drop. And when you drop, you don't even make that big a deal out of it. What if heaven's agenda, heaven's culture was more real to you than planet Earth? That's the way it was for Jesus. He was talking about heaven a lot. A lot. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above. What if heaven's culture was more real to you than the earth culture? This is why Jesus says, let him who has ears, let him hear. Let him who has eyes, let him see. This is why Elisha's servant says, we're going to die. And Elisha says, open up his eyes, God. There's eyes here and then there's eyes here. In Lodibar, spiritual orphans are always dominated by what they can see, taste, touch, feel, hear. But at the king's table, you just go on his word no matter what the natural says. At the king's table, the word matters more than what you can taste and touch and feel and hear. Gabriel shows up, and Zechariah needs a change of underpants in this passage. But his response is fascinating to me. And I'm not here just to beat him up. I'm here to go, God, don't ever let me do this. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. I counted this week at the beach. He gives him 11 promises. Your your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience of the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel from Lodibar, how can I be sure of this? He's talking to an angel with a name in the, in the natural. This isn't, he is talking to an angel and says, I just don't know. 
I just don't know if I can believe this. I know that the Father is kind, and he is so patient, and he is so good. Do you know that he will pass by after a time, he will pass by one of his own children that have so much orphan thinking in them to use another child that he doesn't love more? Because you have to be able to think the way the Father thinks in order for him to be able to use you hardly in any way. The only thing that keeps you in Lodibar is your own thinking. We're, we're all covered by the blood of Christ. If you've said yes to Jesus, this is true. If I've given Jesus Christ my life, I can be in Lodibar just as righteous as someone sitting at the king's table. The only difference is not this one's more favored than this one. That is so overrated. We're all favored. It's Some people have the ability to believe a word and some people don't. Believe and receive what's at this table. You can doubt it and do without it the rest of your life. There's a point where God gets a little... God's okay for a while when you mourn Moses. And then he finally says, Moses is dead. Stop mourning him. Joshua, no, no. Mm, yes, Joshua. No, God. Yes, Joshua. Mm-mm. And then God says, Joshua, I'm not going to tell you this again. Okay. Moses, go to Fairway. Pharaoh, Fairway, go play golf. Go to Pharaoh. No, I'm not going to do it. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. And then God says, Moses, I'm not going to tell you again. I I hope I don't get misquoted on this. And if I do, I'll just blame it on someone else. So here he goes. You ready? He is patient. But when it comes to this sort of thing, there's a window in your life. If you don't jump through the window, he'll love you to the day you die. He'll use someone else. This is why Paul Paul says in Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And and is someone at this table on this side of the cross more righteous than someone at that table? Nope. Mm -mm. The only difference in Lodibar and the king's table is not the cross. It's my ability to receive what's mine from the cross. Everything I need in life is not being poured out now. It was poured out at Calvary. So at age 28, I'm in the fetal position on three medications for depression, and I'm scared to death. At age 29, I see blind eyes open. What happened? Well, God just sovereignly moved me from Lodibar. No, he didn't. I grabbed a hold of the word and I quit doubting what God was saying. And, and it didn't come through an angel. It came through a written word before I was even born. I just actually started to believe it was true. And then I just sovereignly saw blind eyes open. That stuff is so overrated. The word sovereign means set apart. It means supreme. The enemy loves that message because if he can get you to believe that God is controlling all that... God put some people in Lodi Bar and put some people at the king's table. Let me pay another $4,000 to go to some conference to have a true child of God lay hands on me. The people speaking at these conferences, when they get up in the morning, they put their shoes on one at a time. They have to take a nap because they're tired. They fight battles of insecurity, doubt, perhaps depression more than you do. Here's what these people have decided to do. They don't wait for an absence of doubt to be there, to sit there. They've moved through their doubts. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is punching doubt right in the face and continuing to move and saying, no one's taking me off this table. No angel, no demon, no nothing. And so when someone gives you a prophetic word in a prophetic culture that doesn't line up with God's word himself or what he's told you, people at this table don't fall apart. They say, I don't know what God you're listening to, but it's not my father. Get back over there. You go to Lodi Bar. You can pitch your tent in Lodi Bar. I'll bring you a hot dog that falls off my table. You stay bolted to the table. Why? With the truth you're believing. Zechariah misses it. And I want you to see God's response. Well, Zechariah, I'm just glad you listened to me in the first place. I have no one down here that really cares. You're probably right. It may not even be true at all. 
You know, we make God in our own image. It doesn't go very well. I want to get my theology from the word itself. I want you to look at the father's response to this through Gabriel. How can I be sure of this? Well, I'm Gabriel. I love it. He says his name. <laughs> he say, uh, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the temple so long. I, love, I wish we could have a DVD of this. And now Zechariah walks out. He can't talk. He could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple before he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. I'd like to know what was in his mind. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant for five months. Isn't it amazing that what God spoke happened? Isn't that just amazing? I love how Luke is like, we're not going to wrestle with his doubts right now. He, he messed up. Next sentence, Elizabeth got pregnant. I love this. And then we make our way into a story about Elizabeth's relative that responds in a very different way from orphan Zechariah. Mary, 13, 14-year-old girl from a no-name town, middle of nowhere, Middle East. Nothing good's ever come out of this place. Here comes that same angel to this redneck town in the Middle East called Nazareth, knocks on the door of a 13, 14-year-old girl. Here's what happens. Let's go to the next verse. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The reason she was troubled, though, is because how much good news it was. This, Zechariah is full of doubt. The man over here is full of doubt. Mary is like, the Lord is with me. You know, a lot of times we just expect when God shows up for it to be rough, for him to rough us up, for him to teach us a lesson. What if an angel manifested to you and said, the father loves you so much. Remember when the angel shows up to Cornelius, who's not even Jewish, and says, God really likes you, Cornelius. I love these suddenly moments. Be careful the voices you're let speaking into your life if, if the voices are constantly saying what God's not happy with. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Do you understand the magnitude of these words that this angel is giving? Moses, go to Pharaoh and it'll be fine. You want me to what? You want me to lead how many people out of Egypt? I love how to God things down here just aren't that big a deal. It's the whole story of the Bible. Uh, Peter, follow me. I'll make you fisherman. I'm going to flip you the keys to the church. No big deal. Come on. Hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for me, and then you're just going to change the world. You're going to be the second most important person to ever live on the earth probably. You're going to dominate. It's no big deal. I want something in my life that seems impossible, but to God it's like not even a big deal. I just picture God sometimes with a toothpick saying, what are you so worried about? I'm God. You know, when you're God, hit the perspective of things down here are not that big a deal at all. This is what Gabriel says to a 13-year-old virgin girl. Hey, I got some great news for you. God really likes you, and you're going to bear his son. You're going to carry his son. 
and he's going to be in the lineage of David. He's going to savior of the world. <laughs> I don't know what gregarious word you've been given over your life. It does not compare to what this little girl gets. And I want you to look at the response that she gives. You know, sometimes you just need to go ahead and act and jump out of a boat before you have time to analyze the words been given to you. Because if you analyze this word too long, you're like, wait a minute, God's going to be in my belly. Mm-hmm. She just says this. I, I love it. It's not full of doubt. She just says, okay, well, how will this be? I'm a virgin. Next verse. Well, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There's never been another message on this earth to a human being from God bigger than this. And look at her response. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. Sounds good to me. I'm all in. The only difference in Zechariah and Mary, it's not Gabriel, same angel, and he has a name. It's not words. A pretty powerful word to Zechariah. Hey, your wife's going to give birth to the forerunner. To Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. One says, I just don't believe it. And the other says, well, let it be done to me as you have spoken. Sounds good to me. Favor is so misunderstood. You don't need new revelation. You need to believe the revelation that was already given to you before you even born in the, in, the, in the written word itself. The Logos word of God is so powerful. So let's say that you're in here this morning and you say, well, no one ever prophesies over me. Let me prophesy over you right now, okay? You ready? This is a prophetic word from John 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me prophesy to you here from Ephesians 1, 5. All you charismatics, you'll love this one. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Let's go to Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, just as Christ brought you to his king's table, just as Christ brought you from death into life. Colossians 1, 21 and 22, you were once alienated. You used to be hostile in mind, performing an evil deeds in Lodibar. But now he's bridged you, presented you at the king's table before the father, and you are holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Let's just go to 1 Corinthians 6, 17. You ready? I, don't, I won't even pray in tongues. I'll just give this right out of the word itself. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I could keep going for an hour and a half. You don't need a prophetic word. You don't need to be sitting there saying, if only someone would come tap me on the shoulder and tell me that God loves me. Go to Galatians 2.20. Go to Romans 10. Go to Romans 8. Read Ephesians. Just take one verse and believe it. And then bolt yourself down to the table. And then you can identify with all the great ones that have gone before you. They were scared. They were in Lodi Bar. They were shaking. And they just said, okay, I believe it. I think Esther had a moment to where she's like, how in the world am I going to go before Xerxes? But the word's been spoken. I have to do it. I have to do it. I remember when Nathaniel says, when Andrew goes and gets Nathaniel, he says, Nazareth. What good could come out of Nazareth? And the first thing Jesus says is this. I saw you sitting under a tree. You're a Jew of the Jews. You're a great guy, Nathaniel. You're going to see angels ascend and descend. It's going to be a great experience for you. And Nathaniel says, surely you are the son of God. You see, Jesus, he gives lots of words. 
Very few people really believe them. So here's what I'm telling you. Come sit at the table and stay at the table. You don't need a pastor to hug you every Sunday morning. You don't need someone to come up to you and affirm you nine times a day so you can get through a day. Take one passage and for once in your life decide to sit at the table and stay at the table. And here's a way you know you're at the table. When other spiritual orphans that are more comfortable in Lodi Bar get triggered by you and they'll call you arrogant. I promise you. Who do you think you are? I just think I'm a child of the Father. How can you be so confident in such, in such a time where it doesn't seem like things are going great in your life? Because I believe in this table more than what's manifesting. I would rather know that I'm sitting at a table and my life looked like Lodi Bar than me have lots of abundance, but my soul's full of Lodi Bar. Some of the most miserable people in the world, the people that, that have the, the means to do whatever they need to do, write the check for whatever they need to write the check for, Isn't it interesting that in the middle of suffering, Paul kept saying, I just want to know you. I just want to know you. Because even at this table, suffering produces the sweet aroma of intimacy. And you say, it seems like everything's falling apart in my life, but I have something other people don't have. I've got sonship. I've got a father. It's a great day when you don't need to be affirmed to make it through a week. It's a great day when you're the one doing the affirming. I asked God probably, I don't know, a hundred questions on the beach this week. I'm always talking to him about everything. I mean, just, I don't know, just everything. And I, I, I didn't, I don't remember anything that blew me away in the daytime. But I had a dream, deep spiritual dream, all six nights when I went to sleep. And you know what I did? I've been reading the Passion Translation from uh, Dr. Brian Simmons. And uh, a couple of nights, I just fell asleep reading this word, not studying, just learning who I am. Six nights in a row, deep spiritual dreams. And you can say, well, that's just because you're a pastor. Give me a break. i tell you why it is, because I went after him all week at the beach just saying, I just want to know you. When you, when, you, when you get hooked to this table, you get to experience things others don't experience. And it's not because you're anointed. We're all anointed. As a matter of fact, he likes to take the biggest orphan annies over here. Those are the ones he uses the most. He says, okay, you're in the fetal position. Get up. I'll turn you into a champion warrior. I'll turn you into, here, sit right there. You're shaking like a leaf. Let me introduce you to someone. That's Jesus. That's Holy Spirit. My name's Father. And I know you got a seminary degree. You don't know any of us. Don't shake. Don't run, Chad. Don't run. Just sit right here. We're not going to hurt you. We're going to love you. It's going to seem weird to you right now, but I'm actually going to give you a message of sonship. Don't be afraid anymore. And then after about four years, you stop shaking. And then you just get comfortable. And then you read passages like Leviticus 10, 1 through 3, where the two sons of the high priest Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, how they died in the temple of the Lord because he never asked them to come to him. And you now look at that passage through the cross and you realize that's why Paul said, come into the throne room boldly anytime you want to. Because what you have and the anointing and the experience you have trumps what happened to Nadab and Abihu. Because the blood covered Lodi Bar. The blood covered Lodi Bar. And I got on a boat called Grace. And I read, I rode on that boat all the way down that river. And now I'm at a place to where I'm not trying to earn anything from him. I'm just trying to uncover places in me that don't line up with who I already am. If you can go another day without growing in your identity, you will. When you start opening this stuff and you open up the word to just discover how good it is you can grow more in six months than you had the last six years. If I'm studying to get to the king's table, I've already lost. 
If I believe I'm at the king's table and I'm just studying to realize what this means, and now it makes sense to me when David says he prepares before me a feasting table in the presence of my enemies, the table doesn't keep me immune for spiritual warfare. It just equips me to take naps in storms that try to kill other people, and you wonder why they're flipping out so much. This table right here is a really good place to dwell. So my question this morning is this. If you're in a place to where you're just so tired of making your abode in Lodibar, then get out. You know what's interesting? Have you ever seen those elephants? Huge elephants. They have the little bitty string tied around a little two-by-four, and they just sit there. And you just want to say to the elephant, you have the power to kill a village, and you're just staying right there. Just pull the thing out of the ground. Just pull it out of the ground. Here's, I want Bridgeway. I want it in the spirit to look like a mosh pit of us fighting for this table right here. This is too good to be true. You, you remember in uh, the movie Hook when they had the food fight at the table? There comes a place where you realize you're nicer than I thought you were. This is better than I thought it was. I'm ready to food fight. I'm ready to chunk some food into somebody's face. You know what? If all of your thoughts have gotten to where you are in life in the kingdom and you don't like it, get some new thoughts. <laughs> you just don't understand what I've been through. Sometimes the best thing to do is what we told our kids when we're little. Take that thumb right there, just pull it right out. Pull it right out of that mouth and get over to that table. As Paul would say, quit drinking the milk. Quit blaming your pastor 15 years ago who looked at you wrong. Quit blaming the teacher that said you're ugly. Whatever, whatever happened. Whatever. At some point, we all have tragedy. We all have hurts. We all could build libraries of doubt based upon our inexperiences. But every once in a while, someone says, I'm going to believe that word even if it never manifests. It's actually called faith. It's an amazing experience. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the king's table is actually about power. It's not about talk. So one of, the, one of the manifestations of fruit that I know I'm sitting at this table is that there's power operating in me, and that's what I'm going to talk about next week. But before we go there, let's go ahead and stand. And I'd, uh, if we could just have our prayer servants come forward. If you are more comfortable in Lodi Bar and you're so tired of it, you're so tired of just not being at the king's table, and you'd like for someone to pray for you that this will be the moment where you say, I'm not going to make any more excuses. To where you actually buy books like this and you read them and you believe them. You actually take note cards and write down who you are in Christ. If you would like to grow into the king's table and what's already yours, I'm going to ask you to come down for a prayer right now. As we do that, let me speak a blessing over us and then you can come down. In the name of Jesus, may you never make another excuse of why you're not at the king's table. Go in peace. God bless.